Hey, welcome. It's Father's Day, as we've already said, and we want to say to our fathers today, whether you are a dad, a stepdad, a granddad, or an expectant dad, would you stand up right now? I want those around. Stand up, dads, dads, all those other categories. All right. Give them a round of applause. Stay standing. Stay standing. So I'm going to give a challenge to you guys today as fathers. But it's not just to you, it's for the whole family. But let me say this, you as a father can help set an amazing tone for the entire family. If you rise up into the manhood that God has called you to, courageous, bold, tender, and caring manhood. I know those seems like oxymorons, but they go together. And you will rise up, your family will willingly go with you as an example. So... Hear that challenge today. Be seated. What an amazing uh, trip I just got back from. 24 of us in total. Um, actually, I lost count at several times along the way. Uh, we just had to have a buddy partner, all right? Uh, so uh, if there are some people left behind, they're at least left behind with somebody, all right? Nobody got left behind alone. Uh, but 24 of us, 9,633 miles that we've traveled in the past, uh, across eight time zones, 20 hours of flying. One of those flights was 16 hours and a half, the third longest continuous flight on the planet Earth. And I, we felt every bit of that. And 10 hours worth of layovers. I'm trying to build up some sympathy here, uh, you know, for our, our, our trip and journey. But it was an incredible journey. Uh, not only, not only it was all of that, three movies later, a couple bad airplane foods uh, along the way, but one incredible trip to New Day Orphanage. It was, uh, it was an exciting journey with these folks. And we had uh, uh, Ellie join us, Ellie Trawick join us in uh, South Africa, where she spent the past nine months living and serving there. So we're glad to have her. But on next Sunday, if you want to hear about the trip, there's no way that uh, I can represent all 24, uh, and especially in a message like this. But next Sunday afternoon, 530, we're just kind of doing this on a regular basis. Anytime our trips come back, because we, we can't do it every time we're on stage. We send out too many trips uh, in a year, you know, six uh, uh, alone to West Africa and then all the other places. And so this is an opportunity for you to make an evening of it. Come back on a Friday night. There's going to be some snacks and just hang out and hear the stories and watch, look at the photos. Uh, next Sunday evening, this is Father's Day, so we're not doing it this week, in the cafe, uh, be here at 5.30 in the afternoon. But it was a great trip. We were able to follow the money, if you so to speak, uh, and, and go where we uh, contributed enough money last year to build more than one orphan home. Now that's, that's a pretty incredible feat. We had our largest Christmas offering ever this past year, and uh, a lot of it went to the construction focus that we had. We added nine new orphan spaces among 25 children that are already there, and it's about 90% complete. And we had a, a team that just worked from uh, pretty much sun up to sundown almost every day, and uh, even into the night strategizing what we're going to do the, the next day. We got everything done that we could do. We we literally ran out of time and material to do what we could do, uh, but it was an incredible uh, uh, trip for that. But it also had kids, uh, a kids' time. We, every, everyone had opportunities to link up with the children 
to make relationships, to get to know Him, to teach them. If, uh, if you weren't on the construction site and you weren't prayer walking with me through the villages, then you were probably washing clothes, ironing clothes, teaching the children, playing with the kids, uh, doing in some meaningful co- contribution to the 25 children that are there. The last day that we were there and we finished the, pro- the project, we go into this house, this three-room house, uh, where nine children and a house mother will live, and we just wrote on the walls prayers and blessings and we had the children. We each paired up with a child, and we took them with us. And on the top left-hand corner was the, the, the kiddo that was with me. And I said, now, what would you want to communicate to your future brothers and sisters who will be in this room? What do you want to say to them? And his little broken English, he said, we love you. And so he started writing that on the bricks. And so it's just a beautiful time uh, together, very meaningful to be able to do that. Why do we do this? Why do we travel so far? Why do we go all these places? Why do we, why, why, why? It's a very legitimate question a lot of people ask. Couldn't they do that? Can't they just hire that out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they could. And, and, and they might even do it in some ways, some ways more efficiently than we. And, and when it comes down to it, why, why, why do we do this? And I want to give you one word. It's for glory. All right, but it's not for my, our glory, okay? And Grace Boy pat us on the back and make us feel better about our own materialism back here because we went and helped some orphan children out in Zambia. It's not for our own feel-goodness, okay? Our own glory. It's not, and you might say, okay, it's for the glory of God. And yes, it's absolutely everything we do, whether we breathe or eat or drink or sleep or whatever we do, we should do all things for the glory of God. Yes, absolutely. But it's also for a child named Glory. And I want you to know Glory because this is a... This is a story of glory uh, that I want you to understand. Uh, glory is the, the bottom left-hand child there in that photo, bright white teeth and a white shirt and, and, and her hair all braided up. And she's got an incredible story. And every, every child there has an incredible story. But she is not an orphan. Both her mother and father are still living. You might think, well, why in the world would they be there at New Day? But it's a beautiful story in that it's a sad and tragic story at the same time. Her mother, Glory's mother, started losing her mind. Now, the doctors don't know if it was from cerebral malaria or she was not taking her AIDS, HIV prevention drugs because she has HIV. Um, if she was not taking those regularly and somehow it messed with her, her mind and she was losing her mind or if it was demonization or what it was, but somehow mom literally flakes out and is wandering the streets of a little town called Monzi in, in, in Zambia. And so Glory was left to be raised by her father. Her father was a passive man. So I give you men challenges at the beginning of the message. He was a passive man. He was not a man who accepted his responsibility. And so he just basically did like this of Glory and said, I'm not going to waste my time and energy on you raising you. And so Glory was left to raise herself. Uh, and he, she, the father couldn't even, or wouldn't even, I should say, wouldn't even provide the very basic needs that a father, according to a Zambian third world country standard, would be, which would be very minimal. In fact, we would even laugh at, at, at the minimum standard of parenting uh, that, that a child would, would have to receive from a parent. But the father wouldn't even give that to Glory. And so Glory was left to raise herself, and she was known as the child who washed herself in the streets in the mud puddles of Monzi. And the social workers came to, out to the New Day Orphanage and they said, would you take glory in to your home? And they did. And uh, so this is a story of glory whenever you think about why we go. It's people like glory. 
and, and the difference that we could maybe make in her and nine other children uh, following that may come behind because, you know, parenting is not easy. And the dad realized that. And he flakes. Now, let, me, let me say something to the fathers today. Adeline Stevenson said it like this, Fatherhood is a career imposed on you without any inquiry as to your fitness. Think about that. All of a sudden you have a child born either at home or in the hospital or on the way to the hospital or whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden you're thrust into adulthood. You're thrust into parenting. You're thrust into fatherhood. And there's no test. There's no prerequisite test to see whether or not you are qualified to be a father. Fathering is not easy. And it's not one of those that should be entered into um, haphazardly just for the spur of the moment or the fun or a fling. It's to be consciously entered into as best you can. I did not grow up with one father in my life that was consistently there in my life. I actually had several fathers, and, it, and I mean that because I come from a, a divorced home. But even beyond that, I had several other men who poured into my life. And so you may not even have children, but you can make a difference in people's life. Sunday school teachers, I can look at today and name them by name of the difference that these men made in my life by just pouring into me a little bit. Coaches that showed interest in me in, in sports and school that poured into me, that made a difference uh, in my life, that showed a little bit of current concern and vision and direction for my life. Listen, we need to look out into this world and we need to say, how can I make a difference, not only my children in my home, but in other children's homes? That's why this next week is so big. And that's why what we do around here is so big for the children. But how do we love our children well? How do we love them well? And I want to emphasize the word well as much as I want to emphasize the word love because we can talk about I love my children, but sometimes we don't love them well. We need to love our children well. So take your Bibles and be looking at Matthew chapter uh, 4 or chapter 3 with me. And we're going to be there in just a moment. This is probably a very familiar passage of Scripture for many of us. We see in this passage the Trinity coming together. So anybody who will tell, tell you that God doesn't exist in the form of a Trinity, that's three in one, okay? They, they need to read this passage, and this passage alone will at least cause them to stop and think. Now, I don't know how the Trinity can be explained. The Godhead existing in community simultaneously, three realities yet three distinct entities. How does that come together? Uh, it, it almost seems uh, uh, crazy to think and to fathom it. Uh, the, the Council of Constantinople in 381 made this statement about the Trinity. It's the undivided in divided persons. It is the un, he is the undivided in divided persons. Now just think about that one. How do three fit together yet three stand apart? And listen, you, it, 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 try to explain the Trinity and you'll lose your mind. Uh, try to uh, deny the Trinity and you'll lose your faith. So you just got to somehow in the middle of that embrace the Trinity and begin to uh, understand it. And this undivided, divided person that comes together. And in this passage, we see all three of them operating and functioning together. So look with me at Matthew chapter 3, beginning of verse 13, and, and, start, and then uh, we'll be reading through verse 16. And then we'll read further in a moment. It says, Then Jesus came to Galilee in the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Again, can you imagine being in the sandals of John the Baptist whenever Jesus comes and says, I want to be baptized by you? Um, 
But Jesus answered, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting to fulfill, for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I don't have time to camp there right now, but I want you to just understand that one of the reasons Jesus was doing what he was doing by having John baptize him was to fulfill all righteousness, was to do what was right in the eyes of God. All right? That's why Jesus was baptized. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. As you look at this passage and you dive into it, you see that what's going to happen next is a beautiful encounter between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if we could lean in to God our Father the one we just sang about. And how God, the Father of all the universe, loves on His Son. Maybe we can parent like that. Maybe we can big brother, big sister like that. Maybe we can be a mentor at the Boys and Girls Club like that. Maybe we can be a coach like that. Maybe we can be a teacher like that and really make a difference in the next generation. Because again, whether you're a parent or your children are gone or you're a grandparent and your kids live on the other side of the world or other side of the states, you can still make a tremendous impact. We see this beautiful story unfold here. And I have to say that, the, that what I'm going to share with you today, a lot of it I gleaned from a great book that I read a number of years ago called The Blessing. I, I, in my own growing up, and again, dysfunction, function, the kind of kind, that went together kind of hand in hand at times, and I, I, I entered into marriage, and before we ever had our first child, I had a professor in college that had me read this book. At that point, I realized that I had never received the blessing from my father. Didn't even know what the blessing was, wouldn't have called it, uh, didn't know exactly fully what it was, but it was actually a life-transforming book. And he even addresses in there, if you never receive the blessing, you need the blessing, but you need to make sure your kids get the blessing. This is before we ever had children. So again, when do, when's the best time to prepare for fatherhood? Before you have children, not when you have children. How do we parent and love our children well? Three kinds of love every person needs. And again, this goes well beyond uh, parenting. He goes into, again, big brother, big sister, how can I help impact, how can I help at new age, whatever. One of those is offering meaningful touches. Offer meaningful touches. It says in the passage of Scripture, and he saw the Spirit of God, and this is after his baptism, descending like a dove and coming to rest on him, touching him. The Spirit of God like a dove coming and resting on him. On Jesus. Now I know this is not God the Father, this is God the Spirit, but they're three in one. Again, they're the, the undivided, divided persons and how they all fit together. But you see this beautiful interaction between the Spirit of God and Jesus in the flesh. And the Spirit of God comes and touches Jesus in a meaningful touch, in a powerful way. The Spirit has his role in the life of Christ. The Spirit had His role and He receives Him on that day. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, in Isaiah eleven two, it says this, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. This is prophecy. Shall rest upon Him. 
and the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speculate. And there's probably some theological people that will either watch this or hear this or even in the room right now that may debate me on this. But I wonder if we never really heard about the, we don't know much about the 33 year, or the 30 years of Jesus' life before because the spirit had not fully rested upon Jesus. I don't know. He was fully God, but yet he was fully man. But all of a sudden, the spirit of God comes and rests on him. And he has wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge. That's what happens, the power of a touch in the life of a Savior, Jesus. The power of a touch in the life of your children. What does the touch do to a person? What is a meaningful handhold, an embrace, a hug after falling down and, and bumping the knee or losing that state championship or, 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 or not getting selected for first chair or in the band or, or not getting the lead role in the play and yet a parent will come up instead of scolding embrace and love. I know they could have done it differently and if you had only done this, then and listen, it's not the time for that. You embrace and you love. The power of a touch. What's the power of the touch? The Spirit of God touched Jesus. UCLA did a study about the emotional health and the power of a touch. They said that men and women need 8 to 10 meaningful touches each day. Men and women need 8 to 10 meaningful touches each day. They even went on to define what a meaningful touch would be. A gentle touch, a stroke, a kiss a hug giving to a significant person by a significant person a husband a wife a parent a close friend and so on they even went on to say that type a people will live 2 years longer if they are touched regularly now if you have a type a person and you're ready to get rid of them quit touching them and they'll die 2 years earlier it's the moral of that or touch them meaningfully. Now, let me just say this because I need to say this because, listen, don't touch somebody if they don't want to be touched. All right? We don't need creepers in the room, okay? (laughs) Walking out of here and embracing everybody that walks out. Listen, if you don't know them, don't touch them. All right? It needs to be a mutual giving and receiving and appropriate touches, and I emphasize that. Research of University of Miami, the Touch Research Institute said, began giving mature babies 45-minute massages each day. Within 10 days, the massaged babies showed 47% greater weight gain than those who were not regularly touched. The second study, the actual bone growth of children had been deprived of parental touching. It was half of that of the bone growth of the children who had adequate, meaningful touches. When you look at Isaac, when he blessed Jacob, he embraced him. And in Genesis 27, it says, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. Meaningful, valuable touches. Jesus, when he was walking through the streets of a crowded city, a woman reaches out and just touches the hem of his garment and power leaves him. Think about transferring power. Think about that and the imagery there. Transferring power and power leaves him. And this woman who had been hemorrhaging for 12 years was healed. Now I know it was her touching him, but the power of a touch. 
When Jesus was crowded and overwhelmed with people around him, the disciples pushed the children away from him, and Jesus drew the children to him. And he said this in Luke 18. It says, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And then the disciples saw it and they rebuked them. See the, see the contrasting worldviews here? Don't bring the children to Jesus. He's got bigger things to do. He's got other things to take care of. He, he's got a busy schedule. But no, 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 no. He, they, they said, listen, bring the children to me. But Jesus called to him and saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For such belongs to the kingdom of God. In the early church, it talks about giving a meaningful touch. And I talked about this in the, in the series on one another's, is that it talks about a holy kiss. Five different times it talks about giving hope. Paul and Timothy, when Paul was talking about uh, to young Timothy, Timothy, raise up leaders in the church, but don't quickly lay hands on them into leadership. So the meaningful touch is, is powerful in a child's life, in your life. I can remember one of my dark moments of childhood is whenever I went over to kiss a relative in my life and it was a man and I was a child and I leaned up to kiss this person and they drew back and they said, men don't kiss boys. Boys don't kiss men. It's a whole gender thing. It was a relative. I want to show love, but it was the push away from a meaningful touch. Dr. Ross Campbell in his book, How to Really Love Your Child, said this, in, in all my reading and experience, I've never known of, of one sexually disoriented person who had a warm, loving, and affectionate father. Now just let that be there and think about our culture. Have we lost the power of the touch? Have we lost the meaningful touch? Have we lost the meaningful, valuable touches that our children need? Number two, express high value. High value to your children. Listen, the children are hearing from their peers that you're, you don't look good, you don't dress well, you don't have the same kind of clothes, you don't perform like I perform. They're getting all the negative messages in the media and from their friends and they're getting that bombarded upon them. We need to be a sounding voice in their head that says you are valued and you bring value and I love you. This is what God the Father says to God the Son while he is coming up out of the water. He said, this is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. Now, I love that phrase, and you just pack it, unpack it word by word. This is my. I, you belong to me, and I belong to you. I'm, I'm proud that you're my child, and you're loved. That's the value marker. That's the, that's, that's the real value. You may make six figures, or you may make four figures, but really, you want to show value and bring honor to your children and to the Next generation, make sure they know that they are loved. Unconditionally loved. Life principle for you, jot it down. Before you honor, before you honor the behavior, embrace the person. Make sure you separate out, hey, it's not because you made A's that I love you. 
It's not because you made the all-star team or you're on the traveling team that I love you. It's not because, no, I love you. If you succeed in life, if you make it to the top, or if you're accepted into that school, or you make honor roll or you don't make honor roll, I love you. And you belong to me and I belong to you. Two questions you need to ask about your family. Does my family have a pride in belonging? Are my children, are they excited that I'm their dad? You know, as much as God the Father was excited that he was, he had a son named Jesus who walked the earth. Again, the divided, undivided God that he was. And again, we can't fully understand all of that. But as much as he was proud that, that he walked the earth, Jesus in his own words said, I can do nothing except what the Father tells me. You want your children to obey you? You want your children to do what, they, what the rules are? Listen, make sure they know that there's absolute abundant, abounding love in the home, filling the home. There's value. There's a tremendous value where they wouldn't want to be a part of somebody else's family. So much value in yours. We have a little phrase, and you've heard me talk about it before. When our kids will leave the house, we'll talk about it. Hey, remember you're a McDaniel. And I don't... I say that with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. I say that with a little bit of pride. I say that with a little bit of, I know we're imperfect. imperfect and I, I know all of that. But I want my kids, I want, we want our kids to see value in the family. So your children, do you see, is there value there? Does my family, there's another question for your family. Does my family offer a wholesome promise? A wholesome promise. This is my beloved son. My beloved son. Listen, love is the key in that. Love is cheap emotion unless there's character attached to it. Unless there's depth to it. Love is a cheap word that we can throw around whenever we're on a date. We're trying to impress someone, woo someone. Love's a cheap word unless there's character attached to it. And that character goes into marriage, that character goes into parenting. What's the level of the character of your love for your family, for your children? Because if there's character and there's depth there and there's meaning there, then they'll say, they'll rise to that. You set the bar, mom and dad. You set the bar for what the parent, for the kids and where they're going to be aiming at as an example. A definition I've been using for manhood for the past 10 years. It was not original with me, but I have certainly adopted. A man rejects passivity. Think about the father in Monzi. Accepts responsibility. Even if they don't feel responsible, they accept it. They step up to the plate, leads courageously, and anticipates a greater reward. All right, men, say this with me. Read it out loud. He rejects passivity. He accepts responsibility. He leads courageously and he anticipates a greater reward. Say it again. He rejects passivity. He accepts responsibility. He leads courageously and he anticipates a greater reward. John Eldridge in his book, Fathered by God, a great book that I read a number of years ago on a plane. Actually, it was on a plane to Australia 
when I was going there with Caleb on a fathering adventure trip. It says, in a core way that is essential to the masculine journey, the bestowing of the mantle on a beloved son needs to come from the father. Fathers, give the mantle of manhood to your children. That means you're going to have to reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and anticipate a greater reward. You know, we were in the depths of Africa whenever the Orlando shooting happened last Sunday evening. In fact, I, was, I think it was Sunday evening. We were, and whenever you're there, you're so off the grid and you're so off the uh, social media and you're so off a, lo- a lot during the day and all of a sudden everyone's on their phones and we're getting the latest download on the news and we hear of this tragic event and I'm, I'm still doing research on it. I even had some guys that I'm work, mentoring with help me with some research to kind of understand what was going on, what, what happened there, what was going on in this guy named Omar's life. Omar Mateen. And just reading article after article after article and, and trying to understand why would anybody, in the greatest hate crime since 9-11, more people died in this mass shooting than ever in our, in our nation outside of 9-11 again. How did this happen? And where did this hatred come from? Here's this Omar Mateen. He chose hate over love, death over life, violence over peace. Where did this come from? Come to find out, and it's out there. His dad... And his mother fought. Even one time, mother called, I mean, dad called the mother and had her sent to, to jail for domestic violence. And all the c- crimes and the breakings of the laws that Omar did, you find that the dad was setting the bar down here. And now maybe I wonder, from an outsider looking in, is Omar... And by the way, dad's also a member of the Taliban. Is Omar a product of his father? I think it's hard not to see that. Number three is give words of affirmation. Jesus received these words in one simple sense. Those guys, you don't have to be a poet. This is my beloved son in whom... I am well pleased. Attaboy. I'm well pleased. Good job. Way to go. In fact, this is not the only time that I think it's very beautiful that that God the Father at this baptism moment says this to God the Son. But it's not the only time he says it. You go over to the mountain of transfiguration years later, time later, seasons later in a different geographic place and in the mountains and not in the valley. He says the same thing to him again. He says it in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 17, verse 5. He says, He is still speaking when, behold, a bright light overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I love that statement. I love it that God was consistent in his messaging. Parents, are we consistent in our messaging? We say this on Sunday, we do this on Monday. We consistent. God the Father was very consistent in his messaging, but he did add that one phrase and listen to him. He speaks this, this tremendous value over him, this, these words of affirmation, words of affirmation of the past affirm the right living 
This is good. Remember what Jesus said, this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. It was believed by Bloomberg and whenever he said that, that actually you see that from this time in, in, when Jesus' baptism, you see John the Baptist's ministry waning. And he was okay with that. John 3, verse 30, you can read that for yourself. And Jesus' ministry ramping up. John's disciples walks, walk away, not in desertion, but walk away from him and they start following Jesus. Jesus' ministry is launching. It's moving forward. And John's is, is ending and, and finishing up. He affirms the right living. I'm going to do what's right. He also affirms the future. Affirm their life to come. When you speak high value over your children, you say, hey, I believe in you. I believe God's going to do great things through you. I believe you've got this skill. Do you know, let me ask you, parents, this will challenge you. Can you pinpoint in words the personality of your children? Do you know the strengths of your children? Do you know the spiritual gifts of your children? Okay, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I'll say 50-50 maybe in this room. Have you ever told them, point blank, I see this in you. You can go places. You can make a difference. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That was the father affirming his son, saying, this guy's got powerful words. Listen to him. Speak it over your children. When John, the, excuse me, when Peter, Simon Barjona was his name, when Simon made this beautiful confession of who Jesus was, he turns around and Jesus says, you are the rock. And upon you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. You talk about words of affirmation. You talk about affirming him. You talk about out of boy. You talk about giving him a new name. You talk tremendous value in all of that. That's what he does. Speak value over them. I want to con- my father-in-law is not even in the room, but I want to commend him today because he's a words of affirmations man. And for the past 25 years, he's been in my life and he's been a consistent word of affirmation over me. And uh, we've had a lot of deep conversations, meaningful conversations. But in September last year, it was a very dark season for my life. Personally, probably deeper and darker than, um, than I ever cared to relive or go through. In September, he wrote me this text, and I actually, in, accidentally, God, God directed me, but I accidentally stumbled back across it just about two weeks ago. So I want you to step into my text messaging for a moment. And, and hear what he wrote me. God's plan is always perfect. We pray and trust in how we will make, how he will make this time a part of how he will continue to use you, bless you, grow you, keep you forever his. God's hand took me to scripture in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 31, 3 and 4. He said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. And here's the phrase that just rocked me. 
I will build you up again. You will be rebuilt. I literally held my hand over those verses in my Bible the entire time you and Lori spoke. Yes, in every service, no drama in description here, just loving belief in you. Faith in God's hand over you. He called you as a teenager. In situations, through times, that none of us truly know. He has tested you many, many times. And everywhere you have faithfully gone, you are a greater man in my eyes. Through this, not a lesser. Thank you for for your brokenness and how you stand firm in your faith. We love you greatly. Love, Dad. Power of a touch. Power of words to change someone's life. Come back to glory. Glory's story is a story of his glory. Glory was brought to Nunei Orphanage and is now thriving. She's in an environment where she is receiving things from the, from the parents, from the, the overseers that her father had abandoned her and never gave her food, shelter, clothing, education, security, love, most importantly, an opportunity to know Jesus as her Savior. So the Tidwells told me just before leaving that two years ago, a little glory in church one Sunday, gets up and walks down the aisle of the church and says she wants to follow Jesus. Glory's story is a story of his glory. Your story is the same. Your children's story is the same. Will we be an instrument that God will use to help his story and his glory be fulfilled in them? I pray so. Would you pray with me? As you said in this room today, some of your fathers no longer are here. They're gone to be with Jesus. Maybe they're on the planet Earth, but you haven't seen them or know of them or heard from them. And I wonder across this room, how many of you are like me? You never received the blessing from your father. Some of you... This message draws on a very dark wound of your life. If you're here today and that's you, would you just lift up your hand and put it down as an act of prayer to God? God, I want the blessing from you. If I don't give it from anybody else, put your hand up and put it down. Thank you. A lot of you are missing out on the blessing. I want to pray over you now. I want to pray that you'll be open 
And you will be a father, and you'll be a grandfather, you'll be a mentor, you'll be a big brother, you'll be a big sister, whomever, and you will receive and give the blessing of God. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that we can't do anything in this world to earn your love. Nothing to earn your love. Neither can we do anything to lose your love. You just love us. And Lord, if there's anybody in this room who do not, has not have the blessing from their Father, may they receive today the blessing from you that you in heaven call them child, call them son, call them daughter, and you speak over them. And you have a future for them, and you will build them, and they will be rebuilt. Lord, would you be in this place in this time? And Lord, anybody who does not know you, may they where they sit right now just cry out to you, say, Jesus, I want you to be my father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.